And we will invite you to take your Bibles and let's turn to the book of Judges, chapter number 3. Judges, chapter number 3. Entitled this, The Cycle Continues. Round number 2. Okay. Uh, we're going to see the Lord raise up Ehud. And um, we saw last week the beginning of a cycle of failures from Israel that follow a predictable pattern during the time period that's covered in the book of, of Judges, which is about 375 years, some people say 400 years. But that, that cycle would begin with sin, which would bring about suffering and servitude, which would cause them to cry out to the Lord in supplication, which caused the Lord to raise him up a judge to bring about their salvation from their enemy, which was followed by a period of silence or rest until the next cycle begins. Now, during the period of silence, Israel would faithfully serve the Lord. And things would be hunky-dory. Things would be just fine as long as they serve in the Lord while they followed the strong leadership of their judges. But when a judge died, the cycle would begin all over again as they forsook the Lord and forsook His law. That's exactly the pattern that we see at work in verses before us this evening. Israel, as we read last week, when we left off, we saw in verse number 11, Judges 3.11, the land had rest 40 years. And then it says, And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. Well, there you go. There you judge is off the scene. So what happens? Well, it's not, it's not, pretty, not a pretty sight, okay? Um, uh, we, we know that um, what we're going to see here it seems to be it, it will repeat over and over again and say well why bother looking at it because there's some, some differences in how the Lord uses the, each of these judges and I think it's good for us to take a look at this um, <clears throat> before we begin let me remind you that these stories we're looking at have much to teach us if we'll learn from them Sadly, uh, many believers follow a, a similar pattern. You know, they'll uh, disobey the Lord. Chastisement will come. They'll finally cry out to the Lord and ask the Lord to forgive them. And then uh, the restoration will take place. And they'll have a period of rest as they serve the Lord. And then the cycle begins again. What we're to learn is get, get out of the cycle. Stick with the Lord. Our problem is much like Israel's as their fleshly desires turn them from the Lord. So tonight, let's uh, look first of all in verse number 12, and we see Israel's sin. Uh, after Othniel died, it says in verse 12, And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. So we, we see here also the, uh, Israel's suffering and servitude began as the Lord raises up. You know, the Lord can use uh, whoever he wants to for whatever purpose he wants to. And this wicked king, Eglon, God used him for his purposes to chastise his people. Uh, these verses describe the horrible oppression and that Israel suffered because of her rebellion against the Lord. 
I want you to notice uh, Israel's foes. So let's, well, let's go ahead and read verses 12, 13, and 14 first. 12, verse 12, uh, we, we've done read, but look at verse number 13. And he gathered unto him the children of Ammon, talking about uh, this king, king of Moab did, Eglon. He gathered him the children of Ammon and Amalek, and went and smote Israel, and possessed the city of Palms, so the children of Israel served Eglon, king of Moab, 18 years. We notice Israel's foes here. Israel faced three nations because of her rebellion against the Lord. The Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Amalekites. We've heard those names before. They're very familiar in Scripture. All of these nations were continual problems for Israel. And all three, believe it or not, were connected to Israel by blood. The, Am the Amalekites were descended from Esau, J Jacob's twin brother. We know the Moabites and the Ammonites were descendants of Lot, Abraham's nephew. After Lot and his daughters were delivered from Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot's daughters got him drunk, had incestuous relations with their father, and conceived Moab and Ammon, uh, from whom descended these two nations. Uh, all three of these nations worshipped false gods. The Moabites served a god called Chemosh, C-H-E-M-O-S-H. -E the Ammonites worshipped a god called Moloch, or also known as Molech. Okay, and we, in our studies through um, the Samuel and the Kings, we got familiar with Molech. Both of these gods were worshipped through vile, immoral practices as well as, remember, the child sacrifices. They would heat up the arms of Molech and uh, lay the child in the, in the arms there. Just very, very wicked. The Amalekites were a nomadic, warlike people that worshipped a variety of pagan gods. Uh, these three nations were a continual thorn in the side of Israel. They were constantly attacking, hindering, and seeking to enslave Israel. Some theologians have pointed out that these three nations picture our old fleshly desires. Moab pictures the power of the flesh. Ammon pictures the passion of the flesh. And Amalek pictures the persistence of the flesh. I haven't studied it that closely to know, but I'm just telling you what some others have, have uh, uh, said after having studied it out. Just like Israel, though, was re repeatedly attacked by these nations, the believer is continually attacked by the flesh. Our flesh wants to get the best of us. It has its own desires. It does not like the way of holiness or the way of righteousness. Uh, the, the flesh likes the way of evil, likes the way of the world and the way of Satan. And uh, we know that to be the case. Paul said in Ephesians 2, verse 1, through three, he says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. And he said, Wherein in time past, in other words, before you were quickened, in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh, and the, and the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation or our behavior in, in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. So this flesh that we carry around will do everything in its power to enslave us. You know, he doesn't want you to serve the Lord. 
It wants to prevent you from reaching your fullest potential in Jesus Christ. And when we drift from the Lord, guess what? Our flesh steps right in to defeat us and enslave us. May God help us to just stay, stick on the straight and narrow way of the Lord. Amen. I want you to notice Israel's fight. Understand that the scripture here tells us that the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel because they had done uh, evil in his sight. Now listen, when the Lord strengthens your enemies against you, you're in deep trouble. It's really in deep trouble. That, that's what happened to Israel here. Eglon, king of Moab, garnered the help of both the Ammonites and the Amalekites to help him. And we notice Israel's failure, not only their fight, but their failure. Eglon established his headquarters, it says there, in the city of palm trees. That's another name for the city of Jericho, uh, according to Deuteronomy 34 and verse number 3. Jericho was the first city, if you remember, that, that was conquered by Israel when they entered the promised land. And they, they went across, and Jericho was the first place they faced. Man, God provided a miraculous uh, victory there as the walls came tumbling down. You know, the children sang a song about that. Uh, but that's in Joshua chapter number 6. Jericho represented all the victories that the Lord would give them in the future. To see their oppressors set up their headquarters in the very place where they once had enjoyed great military and spiritual victory must have been a hard pill to swallow for Israel, don't you think? Yeah. That's how in the world did that happen, right? Well, the Lord caused it to happen. I want you to notice Israel's foolishness there in verse 14. So, so the children of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. See, because Israel forsook the Lord in their walk day by day, they became the servants of Eglon. They, the word served means to work, to labor, or to become a slave to. Israel had been redeemed by the Lord to be his servants. You're going to serve somebody. You're going to serve somebody or something. And the Lord wanted them to serve him. But because of their sins, the Lord allowed them to become servant of a pagan king again. We saw the king of Mesopotamia last week. That lasted for eight years. Well, this condition that we're seeing here was 18, 10 more years. And there are 10 more years in enslavement to the, this king called Eglon. Now, so we see Israel's sin, their suffering and servitude. And finally, we find, you know, think about it, 18 years. Did it take them that long to, before they started crying out to the Lord? You know, sometimes we just we, we sit and simmer in our sin rather than keeping short accounts and getting back right with God, getting things the way they need to be. May the Lord help us to keep short accounts, you know, because uh, it's not good for us when we sit and soak in our sins and the and uh, we're, we're enslaved by our flesh. That's not good at all. It's not good for us. It's not good for people around us at all. It's not good for our family. There's no, nothing good when that happens. So, But we see their supplication finally in verse number 15. But when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised them up a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, a man left-handed, and by him, the children of Israel sent a present unto Eglon, the king of Moab. So let's get the picture here. 
When Israel finally got tired of the suffering and servitude, she called on the Lord and he began the process of bringing her back to himself. The first step to restoration is confession and repentance. That's still the way it is. Proverbs 28, 13, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. And, of course, we're familiar with 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I've told you uh, many times over the years that I've been here, that word confess means to say the same thing. We say the same thing about our sin that God says about our sin. It's not just a matter of saying, okay, Lord, I sinned. That's not, that's not confession. Confession is, is saying the same thing that the Lord says about our sin. So we see Israel's supplication. We see Israel's Savior also there in verse 15. Note that the Lord raised them up a deliverer. We're gonna, again, this is part of, the, part of the cycle. And we see Ehud's person first. Ehud was from the tribe of Benjamin. His name means strong or union. Uh, Benjamin's allotment of land included, get this, it included the area around Jericho. Hmm. So he would have had, probably he and his kinfolk would have suffered the most under Eglon's reign. Ehud had plenty of reasons to, for warning Eglon and his armies gone. And we're also told that Ehud was a, le- a man left-handed. Yeah, that means he wasn't right. <laughs> I, always, I always like to throw that in there. If you're left-handed, you're just not right. We, he was born that way. In fact, a lot of the Benjamites were left-handed. We're also, uh, there, there seems to have been a great number of men from the tribe of Benjamin who were left-handed or mentioned in the Bible. There are 700 in Judges chapter number 20 that we'll see when we get Judges 20. Judges 20, verse 16. And they were very adept at using a sling. And then there were also many uh, in Benjamin who were what they call ambidextrous, could use both hands. And a list of them is found in 1 Chronicles 12, verses 2 and following. They became some of David's mighty men. (laughs) What a wonderful thing, huh? But we see Ehud's plan uh, there in... uh, it began with the sending of a present, what it calls a present. Uh, really what this is talking about is talking about tribute. Okay? Ever so often it appears that Israel was required to pay tribute to Eglon, so they sent their present to Eglon with a delegation led by Ehud. Ehud took the liberty of making himself a double-edged sword. Look at verse 16. But Ehud made him a dagger, pretty long dagger, it had two two edges and of a cubit length. A cubit length. Cubit is front from your elbow to the tip of your finger, about about eighteen inches on the average. That's a pretty long dagger, right? It's almost a sword. But uh, that's that was what he carried with him. He strapped this dagger to his right thigh. You see, he's left-handed, so he's going to reach over. It, most people would take and they'd put the sword on the left side or the dagger and that way they could pull it out with their right hand. And uh, if he was being observed by uh, Ehud, uh, by Eglon's people, 
they probably didn't notice. They probably noticed there on the left side he didn't have any weapons, but he had it strapped over here where they wouldn't suspect. So being left-handed was really kind of a plus for him at that. Because if he had got caught with a dagger, he would have been killed on the spot. So really a very daring plan. Um, he, his plan was to get Eglon alone and, and assassinate him. I mean, that just really was his was what he was wanting to do. And like I said, being left-handed gave him an advantage. The guards uh, didn't didn't seem to. Uh, there's no indication that they searched him, or if they did, they didn't see anything. And I just want to point out, the Lord had this happen that way. Okay, He just had him overlook it, overlook the fact that he was carrying a weapon. Well, let's pick up there in verse number 17. And he brought the present unto Eglon, king of Moab. And Eglon was a very fat man. <laughs> hey, the Bible just calls it like it is, okay? <laughs> this is a big king. And it says in verse 18, And when he had made an end to offer the present, he sent away the people that bear the present but he himself turned again from the quarries that were by Gilgal and said, I have a secret errand unto thee. Speaking to the king, O king. He says, who said, he told him, keep silence. And all that stood by him went out from him. Um, and Ehud came unto him, and he was sitting in a summer parlor, which he had for himself alone. And Ehud said, I have a message from God unto thee. And he arose out of his seat. And Ehud put forth his left hand, took the dagger from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. Well, well, well. I guess he was a little surprised at that. But um, we see Eglon foolishly dismissed all of his servants. But again, God had a hand in that. And we see Hud's performance here. Uh, when he got the king alone, uh, just implies he's got a secret message for him. Well, that, that secret message from God, God God's, God's ready for you to be gone. <laughs> and uh, he reached under his cloak, drew the dagger, thrust it in the Eglon's belly. Now, he's a big man. Notice the verse number 22. It says, And the haft... I'm talking about uh, the handle there, also went in after the blade. So he got all all the cubit part of it in there. He's holding the handle, and it just kind of like it just went in there, just like just slid in, just slid in him. The fat closed upon the blade, so that he could not draw the dagger out of his belly, and the dirt came out. We'll talk about that in a minute. Then Ehud went forth through the porch. And shut the doors of the parlor upon him and locked them. And when he had gone out, his servants came. And when they, that be, uh, when they be, saw that, be, behold, the doors of the parlor were locked, they said, Surely he covereth his feet in his somber chamber. So uh, this blade sank so deep into the king's body that the fat closed around the handle he couldn't get the dagger out. No big deal. Uh, he's dead anyway. He hit the floor. Ehud 
locked the doors to the parlor where they were, and he made his escape through the porch. Eglon's servants, you know, he, he made his smart move was locking the door before he left. Because Eglon's servants found the doors locked and thought the king might possibly be relieving himself. That's, the, that's what covereth his feet. It's a euphemism of that culture. And covering one's feet alludes to that. And the phrase, the dirt came out there in verse 22, means that Eglon's bowels emptied themselves. Okay, so get this. The door's locked, and they're smelling what's coming through the door. I think it, uh, the king is on his other throne. All right? <laughs> he, he, and so they, they didn't want to mess with him because, uh, you know, you just really don't want to mess around with the king like that. So the locked door combined with the possibly the odor from the chamber convinced the servants that the king was pri- privately predisposed and should not be disturbed. And they waited until they were literally embarrassed. Look at um, the verse 25. And they tarried till they were ashamed. <laughs> and behold, he opened not the doors of the parlor. Therefore they took a key and opened them. And behold, their Lord was fallen down dead on the earth. And Ehud escaped while they, were, while they tarried and passed beyond the quarries and escaped unto Seirath. And it came to pass when he was come that he blew a trumpet in the mountain of, of, of Ephraim and the children of Israel went down with him from the mount and he before them and he said unto them, Follow after me. For the Lord hath delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. And they went down after him and took the fords of Jordan toward Moab and suffered not a man to pass over. And I want you to notice there in verse 28, he gave the Lord the glory for it, didn't he? And he the Lord hath delivered your enemies. He didn't, he didn't talk about what he had done. He said, the Lord hath delivered your enemies. Verse 29, and they slew of Moab at that time about 10,000 men all lusty and all men of valor, and there escaped not a man. Talking about all the men of valor. There was no escapees from that. He got, they were able to kill all the, all the men of valor. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest four score years. So um, Ehud leads this great victory against the Moabites, and we see uh, finally silence again. Amen? Or rest. It says here they had rest four score years. That's 80 years. Uh, uh, that's uh, a, a good long time compared to what they had uh, before. It's twice as, twice as long. Under Othniel, they had 40 years. Well, it's not going to last too long. Okay. After at 80 years is a long time, but still, uh, things are going to turn around. We're going to see that next week, Lord willing. That's our, uh, that's our Bible study for this evening. I will call your attention to verse 31, though. And we, we, we get a very brief introduction here to Shamgar, the son of Anath. It said, after him, talking about after Ehud. Uh, was Shamgar the son of Anath, which slew of the Philistines six hundred men with an ox goad, and he also delivered Israel. So he delivered Israel from that uh, invasion of the Philistines in that 
particular regard. But that's the only thing that we will see about him uh, there. Uh, uh, it does mention him a little bit later, um, uh, for, uh, over in chapter number 5, uh, about, talks about the days of Shamgar in verse number 6. But uh, anyway, um, we'll pick up in verse number, ch- chapter number 4, verse number 1, Lord willing, next week. So let's set that aside. That's our Bible study for this evening. Let's go ahead and pull out, pull back on our prayer list. We'll pray for the needs here, and we'll be dismissed with this prayer.